if if it's if it's super super excited and there's a couple more questions that are hanging out there we may go a little over but we're going to be about an hour we want to honor uh, everyone's time tonight so yeah it's not a webinar not a not a not a big presentation it is it is very much a conversation it is and i don't know harvey if, if i can ask you um how you're feeling in this moment yeah how you're well, doing thanks. right now Thanks so much for asking, Scott. Uh, it's been a very tough moment. Um, I was sharing uh, with some friends yesterday the homegoing service for uh, for the Floyd. Uh, I couldn't make it through it. Uh, I just couldn't. Uh, I wept for someone who I never knew. Uh, I mean, you know, all of us have had empathy for people, and we may have had a you know a tear fall down the face, but literally sobbing almost you know unconsolably uh, over uh, over this loss, and so. Uh, again, not just specifically him, but I kind of feel like it's a culmination. And uh, and then being a person who has been a bridge builder um, to in this moment in my own grief uh, and in the midst of my own questions and my own deliberations, having to still build a bridge uh, has been a bit challenging in some ways, Scott. So it's been it's been a tough season um, these past few days, uh, seeking God's wisdom, uh, knowing that people are almost hanging on every word you say in these moments too. So. Um, yeah, it's been emotionally draining. I mean, coming, you know this, we've been pastoring in a pandemic. Uh, so, you know, and the African-American community has been hit so hard. So, so many members of our church have lost loved ones and had to be by their side and not physically be close to them as they grieve. And so that plus uh, these recent uh, uh, happenings have just kind of compounded things. So it's been, but um, I have guarded Sabbath. Uh, and I have leaned into the spiritual disciplines that have actually kept my soul in a healthy place. So for that, I'm grateful. So I've, uh, in the midst of it all, I've guarded like ferociously uh, my Sabbath uh, with, with, with God and with Christ and allowed those moments to be healing and refreshing. So my soul is good, but I think my emotions are a bit wearied, if that answers the question. Thanks for asking. I think it's a weary, I think it's a weary nation. And, and I, I do think they're related The covid we're yeah. already people that are at angst. We're already yeah. people pent up. And then yeah. you, you add this and it's affecting the way people are thinking and the way they're treating each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're separate, but, but the timing of this is, yeah. is complicated. And maybe there's a benefit that it has, maybe it's calling us to action. Maybe there's an appropriate righteous anger. Maybe there's some things that are going to change. Are, are, are you, um, are you hopeful that, that, this current crisis is going to lead somewhere? I am, uh, because this is different. And I don't, I've never seen it in my lifetime. Just like people who were in the pandemic said in our lifetime, we've never seen a global event like this. Uh, and in America particularly, uh, I've, in my lifetime, I've never seen a response like this to the issue of race in America in my lifetime. Um, and so I do believe it's headed somewhere. I think uh, and that's why this conversation is so critical. I believe that the church uh, was crucial in the civil rights movement uh, in the in the 60s um, and, 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 and 70s. But I think that in this hour, the church's voice is going to be critical as well. And so uh, I do think it's headed somewhere. I mean, Capitol Hill is having conversations. Families are having conversations. But I think that the church of Jesus Christ has to have the conversation as well. And I think that People are not going to be okay until there's some definitive answers and change in some kind of way. I think people are trying to figure out what that looks like. And I think unless we have conversations, we really won't know what that looks like. 
it'll be very polarized uh, solutions. And we need to come to, uh, I think, uh, collaborative solutions. And that can't happen without conversations. Now, who needs to have those conversations? Who's in those? Well, I think, and I, I've, I've said this on many of my posts lately, uh, I think everybody has to have them. But I think that in the, in the spheres of influence in which we um, have influence, we have those conversations in those spheres. So I, I, I put on my hat as a pastor, I put on my hat as an evangelical, uh, and I say, okay, so as a local pastor, what is, what is my charge to the church uh, to communicate, to seek uh, some resolutions that I submit maybe to legislation or submit to the, uh, those who are on the ground? Uh, but then those in government, then they would respond a particular way. Those in education, they would respond a certain way. We're starting to see it happen. I mean, I, listen, I click on Netflix and they're like, these are black movies you should watch. I'm like, dude, what? I mean, this has never happened. I mean, I've had Netflix for a long time. So I think everybody has a responsibility in whatever sphere of influence that we're in to have conversations and to have collaborative uh, conversation and then come up with some solutions that way. And I think if, as we all do that, then we come together collectively with, okay, what is the church saying? What is education saying? What is government saying? Uh, what is the private sector saying? And then we, uh, what are the arts and media saying? Um, what is athletics saying? And then we kind of gather around that solution. So I think uh, I'm, I'm leaning into being a pastor. Uh, I can't be all things to all people, but I can be a local pastor. I can be a faith leader and I can and speak into this community. That's why this is such a great forum. Yeah, when I, and I think it helps a lot. And I, I, I want to emphasize this point tonight to have a friendship with somebody who doesn't look like you, to have a relationship with somebody who doesn't look like you. That's, that is huge in terms of understanding what's going on and understanding a perspective you don't get to see. And far easier to, to not, not start that relationship by, hey, let's, let's, let's talk about racism, let's talk about prejudice. Um, Far easier to start, kind of like how we started, Harvey. What, what's your, tell me about your wife and kids. Yeah, what do you like yeah. to do? What are your dreams? Tell me about how you grew up. Um, to, to start, um, it, it's kind of weird to start a friendship with, with such a heavy conversation. Um, right. But, but if you know somebody who's from a different side, it changes everything. And, and I yeah. think a lot of what we're, a lot of the tension we deal with would, would dissipate if, if we just, uh, widened our friendship circles. Yeah. And it's awkward at first. I mean, you know, um, when you don't know someone and you're trying to, it's almost like being at the dance in high school, right? You know, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you've got to go across the, the gym floor and uh, maybe ask somebody to dance that you don't know. I mean, it's just awkward. It's weird. But you're like, man, I'll either be a, a, a wallflower or I'll be on the dance floor. So you take the risk of being rejected. You take the risk of the person not knowing how to dance and you cross the floor. And I think unless we cross the chasms of difference and intentionally choose to say to somebody, hey, let's grab lunch. And that's what you did, Scott. I mean, you know, um, you know, I'm in the, the heart of Detroit. You're out of Northville. And I remember uh, in the days of sizzling sticks, man, uh, you said, let's just go and let's have lunch. And we didn't know each other. Um, Lisa Johannan, who is a founding member of our church, uh, uh, grew up at Ward. And so I knew about the ministry of Ward, <clears throat> even when we started as a church, Ward had done some things to partner, but it was really, you know, it was just, again, the heartbeat of that church reaching into the city, but I didn't really know people. Um, and you just decided to call and say, let's have lunch. And we've been having lunch ever since. And that's been years ago now. And so 
I just think it's going to take that. It's going to take, and I could, I could have said, no, man, I don't want to have no lunch with a white dude. I could have said anything. Um, and, and you could have said, I don't want, I'm not going to call him. So it could have gone another way, but we, we've been meeting and we crossed the chasm of difference. And I think if people that are listening to this, uh, and you might say, well, why would I do that? Because Jesus did it. That's why <laughs> Jesus decided to engage with people that were very different from him. And many of you know, the tax collectors, the, uh, you know, he was kind of railed about it. You know, you're having dinner with people that are different. <clears throat> and he's like, yeah, that's kind of my mission. And if those of us that are Christ followers would lean into that, um, I, think, I think we'd start making some progress. And there was no agenda. You didn't meet with me to, uh, to have an agenda. It was just to get together. We had no idea this moment would come. And I'll be honest with you, and I'll just say this for those that are listening. I said to Scott earlier, I'm getting phone calls from many of my wonderful Christian colleagues who are, you know, I'm the only black guy they know. And they're like, Harvey, let's, let's, you know, do something together. And I'm like, I don't really have a relationship though. I mean, it would just, it would feel awkward to me to just begin to have conversations this deep. And I don't really know where you are. You don't really know where I am. And we might just be on a webinar and man, it's like, oh, I didn't know he was going to say that. So we formed a friendship and a relationship. And so I kind of know, I mean, I don't know everything that's in your brain. You're much smarter than I am, you know, but I know that there are things that you get and there are things that I get and there are places that we've come to common ground on. So when we come in this kind of a form, I don't have to be afraid to say something or for you to say something because we know each other, but that did not just happen. So I just encourage those that are watching, whether you've got friends that people that you know across the street, someone up take the risk, take the risk, you know, let's just scrap, you know, virtual coffee. I mean, whatever it looks like. And uh, I think that begins the conversation. Changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Harvey, people are writing questions in the Q and a, um, here's an interesting one. Is racism just inevitable from the time of Noah onward? Wow. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I Someone asked the question uh, in my church, a very valid question is that why can't we get beyond race? You know, that we're part of the human race and that, you know, this black, this white, this, this ethnicity thing should not be. And I thought it was, again, it's a valid question. Someone, so it was on someone's heart. And I, I responded, I said, well, if that was the case that our ethnicity was not valuable to God, surely God would have allowed Jesus to have not been born inside of a, culture called the Jewish nation. I mean, he just would have not had Jesus be born into that lineage. He would have modeled uh, a human born without ethnicity. Uh, but God chose to say, you know, he is of the lineage of David and he, you know, and, and, and of Abraham. And, and again, we, we cherish that, uh, the fulfillment of messianic prophecy and the, the bloodline of, Abraham. but that's an ethnic group. It just is. And so I think we cannot ever get away from uh, race or ethnicity. I think that the challenge is when people are uncomfortable with conversations about it, we want to dissolve the very subject matter itself of race. And I think that, you know, God is not a God who is raceless. Uh, if he were, again, he would not have sent his son, Jesus, to be born as a Jew. Um, and so I think that we need to not let it divide us, uh, but to know that around in heaven, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue will worship around the throne. Uh, he's, it's a picture of ethnic diversity. <laughs> it's, it's a picture of language differences. And yeah, so I, I don't think we'll ever know. To answer the question, we'll never get away from that. Yeah, I was thinking about that too in the early church. Um, yeah, people have always been 
tribal and and yeah. ethnic uh, uh, divided. Um, but the early church, you know, really pushed through that. Um, I was thinking of this verse. Let me see if I can find it. Um, you know, the the, the it, it was a division that exists in the world, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, that 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 was. If you're new to the New Testament, you have to understand how deep that divide was to understand the Bible. A huge rift between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles, yeah. and uh, and then um, and then you know this this is Ephesians talking about how the, these these two groups. Um, but now in Christ Jesus brought you who are far away, that's the Gentiles, near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, he has made the two groups one. Uh, Jesus has made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's a great phrase from the Apostle Paul. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in the church. Yes. Um, yes. And and his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And uh, man, that wasn't happening outside the church, but inside the church, suddenly these Jews and Gentiles were friends, and yeah, they were yeah. becoming one. And that's just, I mean, in that day, you would have said that's not possible that cannot be done and the fact that it was being done in the church became a great testimony to the the, the truth of christ like you preached so well last sunday harvey that the the unity of the church was evidence that that god is real and that yeah. jesus is from god and for those that are you know on this webinar i mean when the church is able to wrestle with and lean into but yet become this radical one uh, the world will know that that could not be achieved by human effort alone. There must be a divine and spirit uh, uh, of Christ at work for, for those disparate groups to become one in that way. So it's, it's a great picture of what God wants us to, to lean into. And we know it can happen because it happened before. Exactly. It, exactly. It, it can happen again. Yeah. It can happen again. That can be the great testimony in some ways that church ought to lead this, not, not, yeah. I'm embarrassed that I think the church has, you know, fallen behind on this. We're bringing up the rear sometimes that we should yeah. be in the front yeah. um, bringing this together. Um, we said it was going to be a candid conversation. So if I can bounce off, I'm watching the, the questions coming in. Yep. yep. Um, someone wrote, I've been made to feel lately as if I'm responsible. Okay. I'm not sure the spirit is as if I'm be responsible for the problems of the black community. So I think this is a white person saying, right. I've been made to feel like I'm responsible yeah. enough to fix my own life. So I think this person actually thinks that's okay, but it's a candid conversation. So yeah. um, I think there are white people that are embarrassed and humbled by all this. And I think they're gonna be motivated to action. Um, there's also the question of, uh, uh, what if I don't think I'm a racist? Yeah, yeah. Am I responsible? What's going on? Um, yeah, I've got I've got some thoughts about that too, but I want you to go first. Yeah, well, let me just share some terminologies that uh, we kind of you know throw around often, and I, I don't know if we unpack them deeply. Um, you know, you've got prejudice, right, which is prejudgment. Um, then you have racism. Um, prejudgment is when you just look at something and you make an assessment of it, and then you you know kind of make a judgment of it without really being there. So I, I, I could go into a, uh, a place and, you know, for those that like, you know, metal, hard, hard, hard rock metal, whatever. And I would just say, um, I think that music's going to be loud. <laughs> you know, they haven't started the concert yet, but I know it's a heavy metal concert. 
I can prejudge by the, the way maybe the people are dressed or looking that it's going to be loud music. That's a prejudgment. Uh, racism, it, it implies power dynamics, all right? It implies that when my prejudgment is associated with discrimination or providing inequity, my prejudgment is affecting someone else's life. Um, and so that is, a, that is a very important difference because I think all of us have biases. I, it's unfortunate, but we just do. Uh, you know, um, you may go into a neighborhood, white or black, and just shut the doors or lock the doors. You know, like, oh my gosh, I've, I've crossed into an area that I'm, I'm a little un uncertain of, and I'm going to lock the doors, all right? That's not saying, oh, I think these people are evil. It's like, I just don't know this area, and I need to be a little bit more safe. It, okay, so that's a prejudgment. But what happens when um, you say to someone, I'm going to now create a policy where all the people in this area, which I deem are unsafe, uh, are going to be handled or treated or have lack of access to something because of my prejudgment. So the question is, you know, are, are people racist? I believe all of us are prejudging and all of us have some bias, but the question becomes, how does power, and again, it could be an African-American, it'd be a, 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 another ethnic minority who now is wielding a, a position of influence over maybe a white person. Uh, and because of their prejudgment, someone else is now beholden to their prejudgment of them. We're in America, you all, and I need everybody to hear this. 14% of the population is African-American, 14%. And that's a liberal number with about 13, between 13 and 14.1%, which means the majority of America is Anglo at this point. It's shifting to become a little bit more brown and some statistics say that it'll become a little bit more that way in the next uh, maybe decade or so. So to answer the question, when all the attention turns to Anglo-America, it's not because we're saying we're blaming, we're saying that if the 14% of us all stood up and said, this is what, you know, we're in a country where majority rules. I mean, it's, it's a democratic situation. And if the majority isn't on board, it's hard for things to change. And that is why for me, your earlier question, do I feel hopeful? Uh, I'll be honest, if it was just a bunch of black people out marching, I'd be like, I don't know how much progress is that gonna make? It's gonna be important. Uh, but just with Dr. King, once I see a larger movement of the Anglo community also saying, hey, this matters, then it begins to shift. So no, no blame, I, I, and I heard the question and the spirit of it was so, I think, good. Uh, I don't want any white person on here because you were born in white skin to feel like you're wrong and you're evil and you're bad and, and there's something innately wrong about you. That's not fair. It's just not. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not fair. But I do want you to be mindful that as part of the majority in our country, the three cops that stood by, right, <clears throat> all of us saw it. It's a great, it's, it's become now a great point of uh, contact for me to explain this. The ones that stood by and were silent are, have been charged. You know, we, they, we don't know if they'll be convicted, but they've been charged because the powers that be said, hey, you know what, your silence in a moment of injustice was complicit. You know, you were complicit in it. And so you, you yourself never did anything racist never put your knee on the, the neck of a person, uh, even in the idea of, of, of being unjust. But maybe silence, 
maybe not speaking and you're watching it and you've seen injustice happen. You've seen someone in the boardroom say, we're not gonna give those people that position. And you're like, well, well I'm not gonna say anything about it. You know, That moment became, you became that cop <laughs> who decided to be quiet. So I don't know if that answered it, Scott. Yeah, there, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune last week, kind of controversial. I'll, I'll read the title and just white people hang in there because the title is gonna push you back a little bit for a minute, but it, but it, it, gets, it makes more sense when you read the rest of the article. Uh, Darlene Glanton is the uh, columnist, and the title, here's the title of the article, White America, if you want to know who's responsible for racism, look in the mirror. It's, it's, I think white people bristle when they hear things like that. You're responsible, you're responsible. But, um, but, but I found it enlightening once I got over my initial shock. Um, she says, regardless of how much you say you detest racism, even let's say you're, you're not racist and you detest racism, uh, you are the sole reason, she says, it has flourished for centuries and you are the only ones who can stop it. So this, this, this is kind of a, a new understanding, even though a white person, you, you may never have committed a racist act, you, you, maybe you've never had discriminatory practices, yeah, uh, but, but that's, that's, that's not enough for us. Before, before we pat ourselves on the back for not being a racist, um, what have we done to stop it? And we are the majority, and we have some power in numbers that, that only, uh, really only white America can stop this thing. And that's why this author is saying it's on you. N not, that, not that you're a racist, but America needs to step up and, and stop this. That's one of my concerns of what's going on is that what, what's, uh, what happened is so bad to, to, to George Floyd that it's easy to point fingers at somebody else and say, I, I've, never, I've never done anything close to that. I, I would never harm somebody. I would never um, arrest somebody. I would never do that. And so pretty soon uh, we're, we're, we're letting ourselves off the hook. Uh, the, the human capacity to justify is so strong and it's so easy to let ourselves off the hook. And um, that, that's one message. Don't, you know, don't engage in that behavior, but what can we do to stop it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I just want to jump in here real quick, too, as relates to, um, you know, the history piece. Um, uh, you know, I think many of you that may have, some of, some of you, uh, I have a, I did a recent post on Facebook, which I don't do normally. Um, but I was unpacking America's struggle with uh, slavery and, and its inception and kind of its origins. Uh, when the U.S., or the early colonists broke away from the tyranny of, of, of England. Uh, England, the Anglican church had uh, wrestled with the issue of slavery and come up with a decision that slavery is not right. And it's not, it has no place in the Anglican church and it has no place in England. Uh, as we broke away from the tyranny of England, uh, we said, we don't want to have anything to do with your high taxes and no representation but we are not going to assume your posture on the subject of slavery. Uh, a new country forging its way into an unknown land. How do we build, how do we build this, new, this, this new country? How do we build this new experiment called uh, you know, uh, America? And it was through slavery, you all. And, and I mean, it, it was, it, and so hear, hear this now, it was the early believing community 
God-fearing people who literally, and I encourage those of you, uh, and what I'll do, Scott, is I'll give you, and I don't have all these books uh, handily in my brain my, to give to you, but I'll make sure I give them to you so maybe we can post them uh, for reading. But the early Christian leaders built theology around slavery, all right? They literally built biblical foundations around how right slavery was so that they would be able to have complete freedom in their hearts as they saw people being beaten and raped and you know all of that we were not even human so we were not considered human beings we were considered literal property um and so i just think it's important to know this too every immigrant that came to america many of them escaping potato famine famine in ireland and i mean just heinous things that people came to this country for hope um, none of those people that arrived, even though they were deeply, uh, you know, persecuted, none of them had to fight to be considered human. Okay, you need to hear this. None of them had to say, I'm a human being. They may be like, you can't work here. We don't want your kind here. Uh, you know, we don't want th those kind of people here. You have to understand, we were like, we were, when they, when they gave a law, they would say, I have a lamp, I have a, um, you know, uh, a, a pot and I have a nigger. <laughs> they would just, I mean, we would be considered in the lineup of, 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 of items, right? And so we're the only people that had to kind of be brought along even constitutionally to be human beings. But the church in that era built theology around it. As we move forward to Dr. King's era, Dr. King was not accepted by the evangelical church you all. Right now, we love Dr. King. Dr. King's day is celebrated by every evangelical in America. While he lived, he was hated by the evangelical church for the, for the, for the most part. And so I want you all to know that the church has played a very big role in racism in America. It just has. And I believe in this hour, right now, Generation Z, X and Z in particular, who are post-Christian, they went post-Christian, they're looking to hear the church respond to the subject now. <laughs> because they're like, you know what, we already don't like Jesus. We don't, because he's not inclusive enough for what we, you know. And, and now what is the church going to say about this issue? And I'm I'm amazed at the silence in this hour of many of my Christian brothers and sisters. I really am. Uh, so that's why I'm grateful for this conversation. But I think it's important to know a little bit of the theological history of how the church has been. Uh, implicit in this, so yeah, yeah I, I think I think it helps for all of us to do uh, to look back in history and to look forward. And my guess is, especially the my fellow white folks, uh, you're going to have a more difficult time looking back or forward because I, I do get the question, you know, why am I responsible for what happened a long time ago? But at some point, we can look back in history, and I'm, I'm with you. You know, you we're a country of immigrants, um, except for the Native Americans. We all came from somewhere else. But you have to acknowledge the African folks that came here are in a different category. Uh, immigrants came here voluntarily for opportunity. Africans were brought here involuntarily for slavery. It, 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 you're not, uh, it, we have to acknowledge at least that is a whole different experience. It's not your usual immigration experience. And I think at, at the very least we can go back and say that is our history and that is wrong, 
and this is real, yeah, and it's a yeah. real problem back then, and it's a real problem today. You can look back, and some uh, some people don't want to look back. Why should I take responsibility for stuff I had nothing to do with? But at least to acknowledge, just to recognize the history. Yeah. yeah. And then looking forward, though, let's let, let let's let's say you're not a person who wants to look back, and you weren't a part of that. Fine, but you're here now. Yeah. You're in this country now. So what what do we do going forward? How can we be part of the solution? Mm-hmm. And a lot of questions have come in, Harvey, uh, yeah. asking what can we do and what can we white people do? Yeah. Well, I think one of the greatest things is what we're doing now. And I know for some, uh, it may seem like, well, this is not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal to be transparent with honest questions that you're not going to feel like, man, you know, you're going to get beat up if you if you have an honest question. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I've have I've had to swallow a lot of emotion that I may carry as a black man who has been pulled over, who has been racially profiled, profile, who's been spit in my face and called the N word. I mean, these things have happened in my lifetime, not something I've read. Um, I swallowed that because I can't bring to the table to someone who is asking a genuine question, right? About like, you know, I don't understand this, Harvey. And I don't have a safe place that I can just even ask the question. Um, And I think if we don't provide safe places where there can be dialogue, there will be no forward movement. Because I believe that, that I know, I don't believe, I know, as a matter of fact, the people that are on this chat, you're on here because you care. (laughs) There's no way in the world you would log on to a conversation like this unless you cared. So if in this moment you're asking a genuine question and it's being shot down and you're being called, well, white person, you just, you ain't no good. It's like, well, you know what? Wow, I'm just throwing my hands up because I don't know what, I'm not, I'm not even able to be answered as far as my question. So I think it begins with question. I also believe, believe it begins with, uh, there's a, the serenity prayer, you know, seek to, seek to understand more than to be understood. Um, and so I think and that's for everybody. That's for everybody. Um, that's for everybody to seek to understand more than to be understood. So, so why, why is this here? Let me read some books. Let me lean into some conversations and look a little bit more under the, under the, under the hood as to why this, why has it gone this way? And then finally, in the spheres of influence that we have, what incremental step can be made towards justice or towards equity or towards reconciliation or towards a conversation. It doesn't have to be a huge step, just a step. And I'll just be honest, for some of you, thank you. I wanted to say to you, thank you for clicking on tonight because that was a step, all right? I wanna acknowledge that. That was a step. And, and, And if in this safe place, you're made to feel like you're wrong in every part of your life, you click off this thing and say, I'm not going to ever go into another conversation because if that's what it comes out to be, um, that's not cool. So I I just encourage you to lean into uh, safe spaces where you can ask questions and you can also maybe seek to understand. But then in the incremental steps you can take, you know, who can I reach out to and form a relationship with? I'll be honest. I I, I used to think white people were strange, man. I, I grew up in Chicago 
And the only white people I knew were the Waltons and the Brady Bunch. You know what I'm saying? And, and eight is enough. I mean, I'm like, man, white people got big families, you know? I mean, so I just had these perceptions from the media. I knew no white people until I went to high school to this Jesuit prep school. And those were the first white people I had ever seen, like up close. Of course, I went to the store, I would see somebody. I'd never become friends with them. But once I did, I'm like, man, they're, they're just like, me you know it was all of a sudden my perceptions of them shifted because i was in proximity with them all right some of you don't have the luxury of being in a neighborhood where you can go to a school with someone maybe making that step will make those relationships happen yeah harvey i think you told me i'm not your only white friend but i am your whitest <laughs> you ain't the whitest man you're, you're you're up there but not the total whitest now you ain't the <laughs> Now, I guess, I guess some ones that far more white as than you, brother. <laughs> hey, uh, great questions coming through and very respectful questions. The tenor of yeah. these questions are fantastic. Yeah. And we're not going to get to all of them, but um, there's a question of any books or movies that you would suggest to help us understand the issues of the black community that we, the white community, seem to be blind to. Any books or movies? And let me, and while you think about that, I don't know if you've, uh, last night, my family and I watched the movie Just Mercy. Yeah. Have you seen this advertised? Just Mercy. It's yeah. a new release. It's a yeah. movie based on a true story. It's released by Warner Brothers, who have just now made that movie available free on all their platforms. You can find it everywhere. Um, and it was recommended to me by an African-American friend to help me understand what's going on. And that's great. Just Mercy is the name of the movie. Free. And um, uh, it'll give you a good sense. Uh, set, set like in the 1980s. Uh, uh, attorney, someone wrongfully convicted, a good story, Just Mercy, and then another book that I've not made it to yet, but a lot of people recommend it to me called Beyond Colorblind, mm -hmm. Beyond Colorblind, and that's a good book as a primer, as a 101, um, to learn about racial justice and inequality, a uh, good one for, for white folks, Beyond mm -hmm. Colorblind. Harvey, anything you'd add to that list? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've got so many. I, it's almost frightening to like, uh, I don't know where to start. Uh, there is, um, there's a movie called, um, and it's, it's, it's a movie by James Baldwin, uh, and it's called uh, I'm Not Your Negro. Uh, really, 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 uh, really, really, really good movie. I encourage uh, that. Then there's a movie called uh, The 13th. It's on Netflix. And it's about the 13th Amendment. And let me just say this, you all. Did you all know that the 13th Amendment says these words? I, I, let me read it to you real quick. Uh, but it, it's basically, uh, it's about slavery and its abolition. But let me just read the language of the 13th Amendment, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing, actually. Um, but as I read that, uh, the 13th is particularly a movie about, about that. Um, and uh, of course, my signal is slow here. Uh, but let me just say what it says. It says slavery is prohibited, and I'm going to change the, the order. Slavery is prohibited in the United States and all of its territories, except when a person has been duly convicted of a crime. So in our Constitution, the word slavery still exists. Now, I'm just going to say this. If I were a Jewish person, and anybody chose to use the word Holocaust or use the word that associated with the, uh, you know, the eradication of my people, there would be a cry. No, 
let's say, of course, if you're duly convicted, you lose your rights to do this and that, but we're not gonna even use the word slavery. In our constitution, the word slavery says, it is forbidden and it is dissolved in the United States and all of its territories, except when you go to jail. Here it is. 14% of the population, but over 55% of the prison population are people of color who are black. And for black people who feel like slavery, like why do, why do you guys keep bringing up slavery? Because it's still in our constitution and it says that it's connected to the criminal justice system. <laughs> so I'm just saying you all, it, it, that, that's a reality for us. So when I'm pulled over, listen, I'm the, I'm the most law keeping dude you're gonna meet. I ain't kidding, I mean, turn sick, the whole nine. When I'm profiled and I'm pulled over and I'm, my hands are against the car and my car is being ransacked, uh, just because, you know, and, and I asked, so what, what was I pulled over for? You know, the little, the little tree that you have in your wind, on your windshield, you're obstructing your vision. And we just had to check your car yeah, and go in your trunk. This, this, is not a, this is not a hypothetical thing. Oh, this happened to me. And, and when I reached for my phone, they pulled their guns out and said, stop reaching in your pocket. And I'm like, this is what I see on television. So every time now my heart races. Um, because again, once I go into the penal system, uh, According to the United States, I am equivalent to a slave. Slavery is not abolished in the U.S. It's only abolished to those who've not been involved in the, in the criminal justice system. What are you hearing from the African men, African American men in your church, and the young men and boys in your church? What are they expressing right now? Yeah, I mean, extreme um, anger, um, and I, I've never felt, I've never seen it like this. I mean, I don't. I have a multicultural church, by the way, guys. So, I mean, people that come to my church know that we have every ethnicity. We were cool. But this, I've had to literally talk guys down from high levels of, of like, you know, we're tired. We're doing everything right, but we're still going to end up being uh, profiled. We're still going to end up uh, being, you know, all that. So it's, it's been real tough, uh, Scott, these past few uh, weeks, particularly, to talk to our men and boys. Um, but, you know, also at the same time, they've been more hopeful as of late. Uh, and many of our members are out marching. I mean, they're involved in peaceful protests, uh, but they've been encouraged by many of, of our, you know, not just Anglo, but many groups, groups of people that are coming alongside of us. It's not just us. It's always been black people angry. There they go being angry again. You know, here they are in one of the greatest countries in the world and here they are just ungrateful people. There they go again. But now when we get a soccer mom walking with us, man, that's a big deal. And so they've been encouraged by that. So it's been mixed emotions. Uh, it's been challenged um, uh, with just the emotion of, of the hour uh, as well as uh, encouraged. So it's kind of both. Yeah, I had a father, African-American father, tell me his son, um, uh, you know, was asked, um, what if I get killed? Yeah. What if they do that to me? You know what, Scott, a few, I, I want to say it's about, maybe about. In fact, he called it, he called it the talk. Yeah. Oh, we got to have it. This is the talk that African-American dads have with their sons. Yep. Um, and, and moms. I mean, it's it's a talk that every African-American family has. I've had to have it with my talk, daughter. The talk meant something very different where I grew up. The talk was <laughs> about the birds, birds and the bees. The bees talk, and man, did my dad yeah. watch that talk. And I've yeah, had no, that we, awful talk on to my kids. But I can't imagine having to have 
this talk with my sons. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's with our daughters too. I mean, it's a different kind because guys are targeted a little bit more. But I've had to have that talk with my daughter. I just have one daughter, uh, went to University of Michigan. She's an environmental scientist. But I had to tell her, you know, this is what you do around white people. This is what you can say and what you cannot say. This is what, when you're in certain environments, you don't do this uh, because you have to drive home. I mean, I mean I, I, I've had to have those conversations with her uh, and it's, it's very different. Uh, several people in the chat room wanted to know how we feel about the protests, uh, bo both of us. Yeah, why don't you start off with that? How do you feel about it? Uh, I, I, mo most, uh, I think the protests have been largely fantastic and they seem to be working in terms of we see police departments yeah. changing their rules. I think maybe what's behind the question is how do we feel about the violence that have associated many of these protests? And Harvey, you and I have talked about this, so I know we agree. We, we, we cannot condone no. violent acts no. in any way. No. Uh, and even the protesters say th these folks are not doing us any favors. They're, right. they're diverting um, the cause. Yeah. You know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, uh, a riot is the language of the unheard. Yeah. That quote a lot, the language of the unheard. And uh, yeah. that does not excuse it. It does explain it. To some degree, we have to see that these are folks who feel they have no other options. Yeah. Still wrong. You, we, we, we can't condone uh, violence. Right. And, 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 and well, let me talk a little more. My concern about those two is, again, the human capacity to, to let ourselves off the hook is easy. So please, if you're disturbed by the violent protests, um, and you should be, that's wrong. But don't let that say, well, because there's violent protests, I'm out. Uh, yeah. I, I won't engage in the conversation. I will refuse to recognize a problem because those protests were wrong. It's, it's easy to do that because, uh, because this happened, I, I, I don't have to think about it. And, and please, uh, you know, keep those bad events outside and, and don't, don't, don't let it be a cause for you to avoid this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so, so on point, uh, Scott, because when I, when I look at these these, these protests uh, in places like Omaha, Nebraska, you know, or I'm looking at them in Oregon. And, uh, and, and for the most part, they're very, they're, some of those marches don't have any people of color in them at all, which is amazing. To, listen, you all, which is amazing and deeply encouraging to me because what it's saying for the first time in my lifetime is that the majority group in America, the, the white people in America, are saying we see it too we see it too and we want to make a statement in the midst of uh a pandemic in the midst of maybe putting my own self at risk and i think for some people they're dismissing oh everybody's been pent up and this is a chance to get outside and uh these are people with their children and these are moms and people that are responsible these are not just a bunch of kids there's some young people that are there but I've seen grown and older people. I mean, we saw in Buffalo, New York, the older gentlemen, right? I mean, these are people across every age group and, you know, every representation who are saying this needs to change. Um, and I think that's encouraging. So I encourage you to not dismiss the movement uh, for the conversation and the changes to happen around some of the racial issues, the racial undertones that are affecting the way that we govern, the way that we educate, uh, the way that we, uh, you know, and I know that there's a, my, my wife would tell me, and I need to say this in honor of my wife. My wife says, 
let's not be all over the place with what we're trying to accomplish because at that point it'll become everything. She said, let's start where it became an issue, which is with, and again, let me just say this. I love police I, personally. I think that a, a land without people keeping order is, is anarchy and I'm not for it. So let me just say that because that's my stance. But when there are not just a few bad actors, because we can always try to cherry pick, but when there are systemic things built into a criminal justice system, where if I, have, if I get pulled over in on this side of eight mile and my crime is the same as someone's on the other side of eight mile, but my term in prison is longer, that's injustice. And that's proven to be thing, this is happening, right? So we need to keep the conversation about the injustice that's happening with our um, criminal justice system, which is connected to policing and brutality. Uh, and then we, it, it can widen out. But I think it's starting here. It's starting with us seeing someone, you know, being brutally handled and us saying, let's look at how do we um, look at all the departments across our country and ask the tough questions about training, about sensitivity, about uh, uh, practices, uh, so that we can ensure that everybody that is meeting the police meets them the same way. So uh, in terms of uh, white people joining a protest, that is welcomed. Oh my gosh, yes. And encouraging. Very much encouraging. And for some of you that say, what difference will it make another person that is, listen, when you look at those, and again, <laughs> my wife will say this, because I think that the educators of, of, of the Detroit School District are marching tomorrow. And so my wife is like, I'm socially distancing. So she's like, you know, I'm just letting you know, she's like, I'll be with the group, but I'm probably gonna hang back a little bit and have some distance between me and the marchers. Because for some of you, you might say, I'm not gonna throw myself in the middle of thousands of people and put myself at risk. There may be another way. You might be able to write a letter. You might be able to have a letter writing campaign that you say, hey, look, I stand uh, against police brutality. I stand against inequity. Let me uh, send this to my legislature to say that this is where I stand. Uh, you, might, you might be in your car and just honk a horn. Listen, it, it matters. The little bitty things that we do matters. And so if you, you are able to march, wonderful. That would be very helpful. Someone wrote, right, I think uh, my internet. Yeah, you're, 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 you're uh, clicking out a little bit there, I think, Harvey, but yeah. we'll We'll make it yep. through. Someone wrote, how can you legislate problems of the heart? Um, because some of these uh, incidents we're seeing, the police are breaking rules that, that some departments already had. So do we, what hope do we have that legislation, what's legislation gonna do and what can't legislation do? Yeah, it can't change the human heart. No, legislation, can, you know, that's why, that's why, that's why the, the work of the church is so critical. And that's why Scott and I, I don't think there's any more noble work than that of uh, a changed heart. Uh, and only Christ can change a heart. But as he changes hearts, we live in a, United States is a country of laws. We, we under the rule of law, right? So when there are not equal laws for equal people, then we need to legislatively adjust that and change that. So no, it doesn't change the heart condition. It just makes sure that as we're in a land of laws, that the way in which one person is treated 
is the same way that another person is treated. As I said, when I go to Somerset Mall, and Scott and I have talked about this, I have been profiled on the on the rich side. You know, I've been followed. I've been asked questions. Can you, you know, please, you know, you, you do know that's expensive, don't you? I mean, and they never ask that to, you know, so equal treatment for equal people, that can be legislated, okay? That can be legislated. Whether a person's heart is good or bad, that can be legislated. But true enough, the human heart, only God can change it. But while he's changing it, let's make sure that the laws are equitable for every American citizen. I know we discussed that, you know, whether whether people need to own the history or not, or what is their role for uh, collective confession. And uh, we, we, we can debate that, but I, I do as a pastor, as a white pastor. Um, and that meant a lot to me, Scott. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't here when some of that went on, but I do feel... Um, the need almost to apologize. I feel the need to apologize for the way the church has not responded for the yeah, way the church has been silent. Yeah. Um, and I can, I can point at things within my own heart, but th there is a collective ownership of the church that I feel. And, and maybe I feel this heavier because I am a official representative of a church. Um, and it's a big deal, Scott. Let me just say this to you, brother. And I, I just want to say this, uh, so glad to see Citadel people on this uh, chat, as well as ward, uh, ward members here. It's a big deal for me as a black pastor in Detroit to have heard you on Sunday say what you said in the opening kind of statements. This is what you as a person, you weren't committing ward church, you know, you, you can't speak for every member there, but you said, this is what I, as a man, as a Christian commit to do to make things right. Um, that was huge, man. Um, because, and you acknowledged some things, you know, and you made a statement in front of your congregation, you know, not speaking for them, because some of them would be like, you know, don't speak for me. I'm not, you know, I'm not on that page. But you're like, okay, this is where I'm at. That, that deepened for me my respect for you. Uh, because you put it on the line, man. That, that, that was a big deal to put it on the line. So it does matter. It does matter. Because sometimes you just need to know, do you get it? Do you get it? Does anyone hear us? <laughs> you know, we called our church to lament. And I think that's the right spirit right now. Lament is a grief or sorrow expressed to God. There's a, there's a national grief that we need to own. There's a church grief. There's a lament, a crying out that goes on right now. I think that, that humble... Uh, lament is the spirit that can guide us and avoid politicizing or anything that that spirit of lament I mean lament I'm not a big fan of lament generally I mean who wants to show up at church on lament night or <laughs> right. you know, do lament parties or you know, right. don't have lament clubs or lament small groups um, but there's there's a time to mourn right yeah. and yeah. this is a time to mourn and grieve and lament and cry out and I think that spirit um, keeps us free of a lot of things Here, here's a a verse has been on my mind. Um, this is First Peter three eight. Uh, Finally, all of you be like minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I mean, some of the uh, you know we can talk about racism because that's real, but if we just did this, be 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 sympathetic to people of a different experience than you do. Yeah. Be, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Yeah. 
be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Man, I think that's the attitude the church needs to enter this conversation with. Yeah, and you know, as we kind of come towards the end of this tonight too, and I know we've got some more questions, and again, I'm, I'm not on a time limit. I'm, I've got no power at home. I just let my wife and daughter just sit in the dark. Um, you know, this, when the scriptures talk about, you know, love mercy and do justice, um, I think for many of us, of us as Christ followers, uh, the being merciful part is, is easy. It, mm. it's, 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 it's a lot easier to, uh, to show mercy, to be kind, you know, to, to, to be broken over something. I mean, the whole country saw a video and it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what side of the aisle. It doesn't matter. Every single human being that watched a grown man call for his mom as he was dying, it touched everybody. And everybody was empathetic. But the question becomes, when it says love mercy and do justice, are we willing to apply the same amount of energy and emotion that we do to the empathy that we feel for a wrong act to the eradication of the injustice that created the act? And that's the question tonight that I just wanna just lean into for wherever you are on the journey. Uh, are we willing to not just look at the things and acknowledge the wrong and acknowledge how it breaks our hearts acknowledge that that's not right are we willing to also turn and say okay you know what in the same way that i've exerted energy and emotion towards that i'm also willing to put my energy and emotion to ensure that justice and just things are done and i think that's where it gets a little bit trickier scott i think uh, uh, the world is it, it's it's everybody could be empathetic but to say that now we want to make sure, because now it's like, wait a minute, are we saying something against the police? Are we say it becomes very convoluted and it becomes very, it becomes much more difficult in all honesty. And that's why we need to have these conversations and enter into the tension of the difficulty of it and not be afraid of yeah. the difficulty, but come out of it saying, you know what, because of this exchange and interaction, now things are more just, things are more equitable. Right, I'm not going to have a perfect world. We're not looking for utopia. We're just looking for some form of equity as relates to particularly, um, you know, the way in which people are being treated uh, as they are, you know, engaging with with law enforcement. Yeah, and that word justice, uh, we got to remember that that is a Bible word. It is a it it appears a lot in the Bible. That's a Bible word, and I think yeah. we went through a season. I don't know if this is true of everybody, but certainly for white churches, we went through a season where uh, that word got got ripped off by other people um, who, yep. who did, did not align with with Jesus right. beliefs and doctrine, and and for a while that word um, was, was yep. a red flag. Yeah, um, and it, it meant something different. But I, th I think it's time for us to reclaim that. That, that that's Amen. our word. That's a, that's a Bible. That's a that's Bible so word. That's a Bible concept. That's and so good. We gotta we gotta take that back. A, a, a biblical. Biblical justice, a biblical That's understanding. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And whatever baggage it's got with it, we, we we can strip that away and get back. You you know, man, you, you mentioned the you know Micah. That's one of the questions that I saw. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, uh, maybe a lot of church people have a life verse or one verse they particularly subscribe to. I, I don't. I haven't really had that, but a verse that's been really. Uh, that 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 verse about doing justice, loving yeah. mercy, walk humbly. Yeah, 
there's a lot of things I get wrong, but I think if I if I could kind of get those three cooking in my life, <laughs> oh man, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. I may not get everything right, but but if I if I was guided by those three pillars, I, I would at least be on the right road. Yeah, um, I want to address one of the questions just about the family um, and the African American, the Black family, <clears throat> and 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 the possible increase violence between you know blacks and gangs and 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 because of the fatherlessness issue i think we got to be careful not to always cast blame i do believe in personal responsibility so i just want you all to know i think that we have a uh responsibility as much as we can uh, to change our lives and change the course of our lives uh, i was often told you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps you know that kind of thing uh but the assumption of bootstraps <laughs> The assumption of the ability to do uh, is a, is a big one, and and and, and I, it's a hard dance for me, and I and, and that's why I'm putting this question out because it's a, it's a valid one, but it's a hard dance because I do believe in personal responsibility. I, I I have leaned that way my entire adult life. I don't always, you know, oh well because of this I can't, because of that I can't, because you know I I, I just not been that kind of person. But I also do not ignore things that have happened that create a dynamic that make it more difficult to even do something that seems so simple, like pull yourself up. You know, I mentioned my wife being a, 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 a doctor, a, a dean of a school, a Detroit public school, and they don't have resources. They just don't. You know, uh, there's all kinds of challenges often in these schools. And by the way, I mean, Ward just recently, just without me even, I just happened to mention something and Ward just generously uh, blessed this Detroit public school with some, um, you know, some disinfectant and some cleaner without a big deal. It's just what they do. But here's the point. When slavery happened, it's a big deal. The family was intentionally broken up. The, the male was intensely removed from the unit. So the early seeds of the black family in America was fatherlessness. It was kind of baked into the African-American experience in the United States. Again, other, other immigrants that came, that was not an intentional strategy, right? They may have not been able to get a job. They may not have been able to live in a certain neighborhood, but it wasn't like, hey, you know what, Irish guy, you know, uh, Catholic guy, we're gonna, we're gonna intensely separate mom and dad. <laughs> that just didn't happen. But that did happen intentionally for the African-American community. So a lot of what we're seeing is, is the fruit of that. It's not, I, I think we need to preach it. I teach it, I value it in our church. I model it, <clears throat> we need to build that. So it, it's not an excuse, but I think for some of you that may wonder why is fatherlessness so big in the black community? What's the deal with that? You need to know that from the moment that kids grew up in the beginning of our nation's history in the black family, they grew up without a dad. And it wasn't just because that, that's what, they were not used to it. So it became, that became normal for us. Mom, 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 mom. I grew up as a single parent mom, uh, family. So not, again, it's, it's a dance, right? Not an excuse. I'm, I'm a husband, I've been with my wife, we've been together since high school. I got a daughter, she knows two parents, all right? I try to model that for my church. I try to lean into that value. But when people don't have that, I also understand how that's a challenge in our dynamic. Yeah, ultimately, we're, we're each going to stand before God accountable for our own lives. And we can't make excuses about 
blaming it on our parents or on something awful, awful that happened to us in childhood or our things yeah. we, we have to own our own lives. Yeah. But, but it's also fair to acknowledge that people have experienced things that, that make it difficult and yeah. we can be overcomers in Jesus. There is nothing that we cannot overcome. We need to be um, compassionate, understanding that verse said. Um, but ultimately, I think all of us need to be careful of excuses we make for our lives or for our thoughts. Again, the human capacity to excuse ourselves, to justify is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, wow. Can yeah. I answer one more? Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> uh, uh, why does it seem problematic for a white person to ask a black person to confront their own racism or issues in the community? Um, first of all, thank you for the question. Thank you for the question. Um, I don't think that the question itself is problematic. Uh, I think that we do. I think every person needs to confront their own, uh, their own issues, whatever those issues are, whether it's you know racism, whether it's prejudice, whether it's sin, whatever the origin, right? That, that's the, the core issues of all of us, all of sin. But then the issues that are particular to the black community, I think that they do need to be faced. You know, they need to, you know, they do need to be addressed. I think that the climate that we're in um, is a bit challenging at this moment with that, with those kinds of questions, only because of the high level of angst that most people are feeling um, uh, because of the things that we've been, been, been kind of seeing in the news. Just in the past month, right, uh, we've seen clip after clip. We just happened to see one brother pass, but we've seen, you know, some other things that were not just that were done. And it's just in a month's time. And this is just because someone happened to have, you know, a cell phone, right? But can I tell you something? There are so many more examples. That, and when I ask people in my church, how many of y'all have ever, I mean, almost every black person's hand goes up because they've experienced some, some level of um, profiling. Uh, so I think when the questions are asked, like, hey, let's, let's not talk about why, uh, you know, these things are happening to black people. Let's focus on what you guys need to do. I think it could be both and, all right, I do. Uh, I just think right now the sensitivity level is just so high that it's just a hard conversation right now. I don't think it's one that doesn't need to be asked, okay? I do believe that we need to have personal responsibility and it's something that should be leaned into. But I think as an Anglo person at this moment, right, asking that question, it looks like deflecting away from a bigger one that the whole world is saying, okay, how is the U.S. going to deal with this issue? You know, how is the U.S. going to deal with this issue? I'm in England, I'm in Spain, I'm in Germany, uh, I'm in, in Portland, Oregon. What is the U.S. going to do? And so it's not a absolution of that question, but a prioritization of maybe another question uh, at this hour, if that answers your question. And I wanted to answer that because, again, as we talked about these different things, I didn't want someone who's asking a question that that maybe the average white person wants to ask. It's like, wait a minute, they've been cherry picking questions uh, that make black people, you know, happy or comfortable. Uh, I just don't want that to be the, the, the situation. And, and we can't answer it all in one day, but I just want to end with this statement. There are things that black people have sinned. 
I am not exonerating black people, but we're not these angel these angels that walk amongst us. And, you know, so I'm not exonerating personal responsibility. I'm not exonerating uh, 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 the violence that has happened and, and the and the wrong. I'm I'm definitely not supporting police that have been killed or attacked or some kind of an initiative to say let's just have no cops at all. I'm I'm, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the spirit of this conversation. So I acknowledge those things, personal responsibility. But let me just say this to you, and I just need you to hear me as a black guy talking to you. As a young guy who went to Catholic grammar school, Jesuit prep school, Northwestern, did it all right, I still get pulled over. I still get profiled. I still pay more for living in a historic district, the safest neighborhood in Detroit, but just because I am redlined, there are things I cannot do because of where my zip code is. You know, um, there are things that I don't have access to because of just the, the way that my skin looks. I can't go into certain places. I was up in Petoskey recently. I was in Bell Tire uh, getting my brakes fixed. And they said, what are you doing up here? I said, well, I'm speaking at the Yacht Club. How did you speak? How are you speaking at the Yacht Club? This is the guy at Bell Tire. This is what I deal with, all right? So I'm bringing to you all frustration, angst, sadness, brokenness, and, and hope in hopes that maybe tonight, some of you that say, I don't know where all this is coming from, you will hear intelligently from a black man that some of this is just about equity. I'm not saying let's make it all right overnight, but let's just make sure that the same way you're pulled over is the way I'm pulled over. The same way you're treated in Somerset is the same way I'm treated in Somerset. The same way that, that you can go, you know, go vacation up north and go to the UP with no problem, that I could get in my car and go to the UP with no problem. That, that's, that's what the conversation is about tonight. But I do acknowledge these other questions that are so valid and so real. But in this hour right now, there's a man that was laid to rest yesterday just because he was black. And it wasn't at the hands of some robber or criminal, it was at the hand of someone that was supposed to be uh, protected. And so that's where that's that's what I wanted to say. And can you we're we're, we're past an hour, but if if, yeah. uh, if, you, if go when you need to go, but if we can if we can hang in there for another yeah five or six I'm good. minutes, yeah, I'm great. Six minutes. I, I want to get this is a candid conversation, and you know there. Uh, I want to ask you about this phrase because you kind of brought it up when when people when the phrase is offered, "Black Lives Matter," and someone responds on Facebook. A well-meaning person say, all lives matter. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I don't get it. Um, during the civil rights movement, there was, uh, and you may have seen this pic, these guys, but they would have signs that says, I am a man. The most confusing signs as a little kid, I would watch these old clips and I'm like, why would black people have to wear a sign that says, I am a man. And then I guess for men, we say, well, we're all men. <laughs> Why do you have to wear a sign saying you're a man? We're all men. But they didn't feel like they were, okay? They didn't feel like they were and they weren't being treated like they were. That was in the 60s. And here in 2020, black people feel 
as though their life doesn't matter. And so that's what that means. Uh, there's a story about a, uh, a girl who was favored by her parents uh, on her birthday. It's a comedy, really. Uh, and, and so every year, I mean, she got 15 gifts at her birthday. Just, you know, the other siblings, they got nothing. I mean, they got like, you know, they shared a gift, right? And the siblings had to celebrate their birthday on her birthday. <laughs> so so um, this little girl is having her birthday party. The, the parents are just singing happy birthday. The other two kids go outside and they're like, our birthday matters. Our birthday matters. And then the girl whose birthday, you know, was being celebrated with all the gifts, she goes outside and says, all birthdays matter. <laughs> and yeah, that was a great... That's super helpful. And, you know, I didn't get it at first because I'm, I, you know, as a preacher, everybody matters and God loves yeah. everybody and everyone's made God's image. I tend to focus on that. But, I, but that's a great illustration. And maybe you saw the one on Facebook too where, where uh, there's a house on fire in a neighborhood and um, the, the, the fire department comes in and they're putting out the fire and a neighbor comes out and says, well, uh, my house matters. <laughs> yeah, How come exactly. you're not pouring water in my house? Well, your house is not on fire right, uh, right now. Yeah, yep. Um, and I think that those that have hijacked, and listen, Black Lives Matter is not like there's a central headquarters. You can go to the corporate offices and talk to the people. I mean, it, it's, it's an organization, but it's very loose, right? So I think that there, there are people that kind of attach to the movement that are not maybe representative of the heartbeat of it. So that's another thing you're saying, wait a minute, those Black Lives Matter people, they're the ones that are doing looting. And, and so we end up saying, oh, wait a minute, let's pump the brakes on the Black Lives. So there are people that are hijacking the conversation. Yeah, there, there, there's and, the phrase and there's an organization by that name and the, it, it does get right. a little- Gotta be careful, gotta be careful. Yep. But, I, but I, I do that's get, good. it's not helpful when we respond and say, Every, all lives matter because not all lives are at risk right now. And when anything else happens, you know, Boston had a bombing and we we're like, you know, Boston uh, matters or, you know, Boston strong. And, you know, whenever there's a, uh, we respond. And so I, uh, I've embraced that phrase a little more than I, than I have before. Um, I, I'm going to give one final, uh, one final thought that Harvey, you're going to have the last word tonight. Uh, you know, some, some people say, why can't we just talk about human beings? Or I think that's kind of what we're getting yeah. at here. And uh, a certain other verse has been on my mind, is, again, from, from 1 Peter, where it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Talking about the church, those of us that are in Christ. Uh, some translations say, you, you are a chosen race. And here, Peter is not talking about an ethnic group. He is talking about this new family, this new group found in Jesus Christ, um, that we would find our identity, not primarily in our nationality or our ethnicity, our politics, but our primary identity is found in Jesus. And again, I am super hopeful that the, that the church ought to be able to accomplish things that nobody else can do. Yeah. It's yeah. in our scriptures. Yeah. It's in the heart of God. And I, I would, uh, I, I dream of uh, the of churches of the church, kind of rising up and model this. Yeah. And leading the nation and the world in this. Yeah. We again. Church has done this before, and we can we can do it again. Amen. Amen. Harvey, why don't you take the final word, and we'll say yeah. goodnight to these folks. Well, I kind of feel like you've you you've really nailed it. I mean, this is an hour in American history uh, where the church gets to be a voice that 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 can set the course for the future. 
And each of you that are watching this are part of that. I know that there are things that you struggle with. There are things I struggle with. I know that there are questions that you've got that are still unanswered. <laughs> I've got tons of questions that I've got that are still unanswered. But you know what? If we, if we approach things hope with hopelessness, if we approach things as like, well, what can I do? And what difference can I make? I guess I can't make any. Then we won't do anything. The reason I went into ministry is because I felt like, man, maybe, maybe just one voice telling people about Jesus can make a difference. I, I didn't know that 30 years later, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would come to saving knowledge of Jesus because of my simple decision to say yes. Am I super smart? Probably not that much. Am I uh, the best preacher? Not at all. But I'm just someone that said, God, use me in the way that you can for where I'm at. And wouldn't it be awesome for every one of you that are watching to just say, you know what, God, make it a prayer. Use me for where I'm at right now, for where I'm at, not where people want me to be, not where movements say I should be, but where I'm at. Use me to move the needle forward for justice for those who are marginalized in our country right now, particularly uh, the black community. Use me in some way. I don't know what that looks like. God, show me what it looks like. He will. God, I have no idea how to, how to broker a conversation. He'll lead you. But the fact that you have stayed on, a hundred plus of you, <laughs> over time, I'll be honest with you, because there are things that were said tonight that for some of you, it bristled you a bit. Thank you. And for some of my African-American brothers and sisters that are on here, you... You felt like it should have gone further and gone more. And so it bristled you a bit good because this is what candid conversations do. It doesn't end with us being happy all the time. It ends with us having had the conversation. And so that's, that's the way I end it. And I ask you to lean into that too, because this, I'm better tonight because of this, Scott. So thank you. And, and, thank we, you, Lord. and we, we agree to end unresolved. Yeah, um, exactly. Not but, but, but the needle is moved. Yeah. The needle is moved. The needle is moved. Amen. Yeah, thanks for your comments and respectful questions and engagement. Yes. And, uh, it's been awesome. Just a conversation, it's awesome. but it's what, it's what we can do. And so I will, and I don't know if this is possible. I don't know how we can do this in a way uh, to some of the, the books and some of the movies. I want to just kind of maybe provide a list. I don't know if that's something that can be I don't want to post it on your site. I don't know how it can happen, but I'll let your tech people figure it out. But I'll forward those to you, Scott. And if there can be some form that you can get that to people that are inter interested, uh, that would be great. Yep, we can we can send something to everyone who registered for this, who found it through registration. Perfect. We also can post the resource. Perfect. Wherever, wherever you'll find this this recording of this of this conversation. Perfect. Perfect. And um, right. thank you, Emily and Chris. I see you in the background. Uh, responding to questions and making sure Harvey and I didn't mess things up too terribly. <laughs> and, um, thank you so much. Uh, to God be the glory. Amen. Um, good night. God bless you. And uh, let's, let's be the church of Jesus. Amen. Take care, everybody. God bless you all. Good night.